Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Surviving to Thriving. Today I have with us Jackie Harunian. Jackie has been practicing law since 1995 in New York. She is currently a partner in a high volume practice focusing in family law. She holds degrees in both law and behavioral forensic psychology. So she brings a unique approach to resolving divorces and family conflict that is interdisciplinary and holistic to the parenting dynamic. She is the highest rated lawyer for ethics and professionalism by Martindale Hubble, was recognized in the U.S. News and World Report as a top form 2020 and twice selected to top 50 women lawyers by super lawyers. Her experience encompassing over 20 years as a trial attorney, mediator, and victim's advocate includes familiarity with cases involving high net worth and complex assets, domestic violence, mental health issues, personality disorders, substance addiction, religious divorce, and special needs children. Jackie, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, that is some introduction. Thank you so much, Heather. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and your audience about one of the most concerning and and escalating issues, which is uh, domestic violence in quarantine. For sure want to get into that because I think it's such an important topic in this point in time. Um, But I do want to go back just a little bit. Um, What was it like growing up? How did you get into family law? And where did your passion come from uh, for getting into domestic violence and those types of things? Well, I think almost anyone in family law probably deals with issues of mental health and some victimology. But the way I came into it is I always had an interest in psychology and my grandfather was a psychiatrist. And so it was always in the back of my mind that it was such a fascinating thing to deal with people that had psychiatric or, or mental health illness as opposed to physical illness. I was a very young mom, got married young, and when I went into law school, I was very introverted, and I didn't really see myself as someone who would be practicing as an advocate in any capacity. I really thought I was going to be doing more research and writing, transactional work, and but family law immediately grabbed me while I was in law school. I found the issues to be very relatable as a mom already, and when I went into practice, just by luck, I found a job very close to home in a family law firm. And most lawyers will tell you their very first job is not always something of their choosing. You just, you know, you're trying to gain experience. You're trying to build up your resume and hopefully land somewhere that's going to be fruitful for building a career. And uh, I really had incredible luck that I was able to start with this firm as a law intern, eventually as an associate, and then years later uh, as, a, as a partner with the same firm, still five minutes from my house. And throughout that time, I have practiced family law. Uh, and I've learned more and more about the legal aspects uh, as our society has changed from really more a model, uh, a paradigm where mothers were primary caretakers, fathers were the earners, to today, uh, almost 25 years later, that fathers and mothers very much are having active roles in raising their children. 
And in most households, there is really more economic equality and more parenting equality, which is very good to see. I think most fathers and mothers bring things to the table that are very beneficial to their children. But on the other side of it, I've also had opportunities over the years, especially recently, to advance my education in forensic psychology, behavioral forensics and victimology, and conflict resolution. And I've interned as part of that degree at the SAFE Center and other victim services agencies and even a local crisis center uh, where I'm now on the board. And, And you see a very different aspect of society, different socioeconomics, different demographic groups that are very, very prone to being victimized, not just once, but again and again throughout their lifespan. And and that does play a role in family law. And it plays a role on access to justice, whether you're going to get it in the family court, whether you're going to get it because Child Protective Services are going to help you, uh, help parents to become better parents. And then even in very wealthy uh, households, where we have certainly our share of those clients, that you still see domestic violence, different types of control. It can be financial control or more verbal abuse, but still very damaged victims. And so to me, psychology and law go hand in hand. They always have, uh, especially in family law, uh, which brings me to the topics that we're gonna discuss today. And I know that you're also always discussing with your audience. Yeah, definitely. You talked about the progression that has come just in society and economic uh, development. Can you speak a little bit on how family law has changed over time to conform to the norms that we have now? Well, uh, there have been so many changes over the years, again, mostly because women have joined the workforce, especially after the 2008 recession. Women really stepped forward. And we all know, we've read, and I'm very much uh, into female empowerment uh, because I have two daughters and two sons, and women have gotten better education. They've adv- they have advanced degrees. They have uh, been very successful in, in getting education, not quite so successful in getting the higher income or even the same income as their male peers. But there's no question that women have made very strong advancements economically in the workplace, and that has increased their power. It has increased their ability to leave abusive situations. On the other hand, as a necessity, when you have a woman working out of the house, you have fathers that have, by choice or necessity, they've stepped forward to become much more active fathers uh, and much more uh, involved in their children's day-to-day care. Other than breastfeeding, they probably do almost everything else. The pick up and drop off from daycare, activities, homework, real bonded parenting and attachment parenting. We are really seeing that, which is very different from the 1950s model, which was very gendered. Uh, and, and when I started law school and I started as a young lawyer, it was still very much that parenting was the domain of the mom and the earning was the domain of the dad. And now you have same-sex couples. You have couples where it's now flipped. The mother is the earner. The father is staying home. All huge changes. And the way that family law has changed is over the past 10 years, and I'm really talking about in New York, there have been changes to the fault grounds. It's now no-fault divorce which really in terms of victims maybe is not the best because no-fault divorce means you really can't discuss domestic violence or really talk about who was good and who was bad and expect a better financial outcome. No-fault divorce means everyone is at the starting gate moving forward with a divorce and there really is no defense to it and it doesn't really get you anything financially. Domestic violence for sure still plays a role in custody, especially if that abuse impacts the children. 
But we are really now in 2020 at a time where it's joint custody in most cases as a starting proposition. And uh, I think that's correct and that's fair. Uh, and judges really are very fair-minded in most cases. There is though a concern for cases where the facts don't really fit into that joint custody paradigm. And when I talk about which cases don't really fit in, it's cases where you have domestic violence, where you have one parent who is abusive, who is maybe alienating the children from the other parent. It could be mental illness or substance abuse. So in other words, joint custody should never be a cookie cutter, one size fits all solution. The judges, uh, attorneys for children, mental health evaluators, everyone involved in providing facts to the court and to the attorneys to get the best outcome. Uh, it's very important that if it's not the right outcome that, that is brought to the attention to the court and those cases maybe need to be given more special handling. For everyone else, I would go so far as to say 80 to 90%. Joint custody is, is where it's at. Now, other changes in family law over the ten, past 10 years include changes to spousal support. So there's less of it for a shorter duration. That's the bottom line. Women are now paying spousal support. They hate to pay it uh, as much as men did years ago, <laughs> but that means they're usually earning more. Uh, there's, I think, smaller, more reasonable awards of council fees. And, and some assets have completely been moved off the table. And so that's licenses and degrees are no longer marital property. And, uh, you know, separate property rights, I think, are stronger than ever. So if one party owned a piece of property or a business before the marriage, then the non-titled spouse, that's, the, you know, the spouse that didn't own the property, is going to get less and less of that asset. So overall, I see more, more fair outcomes economically and with regard to custody. And these are generally good things. But again, uh, we should never rush towards those outcomes without a real careful factual analysis when it's warranted. Definitely. And I know that you um, spent a little bit of time on the domestic violence aspect of family law. And I just wanted to confirm and, and reiterate your opinion about um, how far you think the laws have come for domestic violence. Uh, I know that maybe you can only speak for New York, um, but do you think that they are progressing along as well as um, the broad spectrum of family law? Well, I mean, I, I would point to maybe not across over the past uh, even 10 years, but I would say for sure the Me Too movement uh, has brought a lot of these attentions to the forefront. We are seeing for the first time you know, people convicted and sent to prison, even powerful men. Uh, and, and in abuse situations, there's a little bit more of a collective understanding, a willingness to believe victims. It's less stigmatized. I mean, people are sharing their stories all over Facebook and social media about their victim. It's become less stigmatized. And I would say a lot of issues have become less stigmatized. Uh, drug abuse, mental illness, uh, substance abuse, uh, you know, LGBTQ issues, everything is sort of out there. There's a gaining awareness, a gaining acceptance. These are all signs of a healthy community, uh, much, much better than when it's hidden and kept behind closed doors. So I would say domestic violence is one of those things where uh, it's not quite so shameful for a woman to, uh, or a man to say they've been victimized. And not only is it not as shameful, it's so much easier now to find resources. You know, the internet uh, provides uh, at just a few clicks, you can get a host of very local resources, 
a lot of them are free and, and no cost, like the Safe Center that we have locally here on Long Island. There are many other good agencies on Long Island. It's easier to get help, uh, even confidentially. And so these are really beneficial changes. And I think there is an awareness that uh, domestic violence, the Me Too movement, these types of things uh, happen to celebrities. They happen to people across the spectrum in places you wouldn't expect. And so the more it's talked about, the less of a stigma. You know, in the divorce world, it doesn't really mean you get more money out of it or a better financial outcome. And, and that's just something people need to realize. Uh, those are really kind of compartmentalized as issues unless they affect custody issues. Definitely. Can you speak a little bit about what you think the main reason for divorce is? How are you seeing more because of you know, domestic violence, whether it's emotional or um, psychological, it doesn't um, have to be physical, or is it just kind of like yeah. a, a lack of romanticism? There's, I mean, there's so many reasons, and I, I do a lot of speaking and writing about these topics, about the changes in relationships overall in our society. You know, whether you want to call it the Kardashian effect or celebrity culture or just a more liberal attitude, we are seeing fewer marriages altogether. We are seeing relationships that are very different than what we're used to seeing. Cohabiting partners, different types of couples, same-sex couples, just less religious-based, traditional marriage, and just different types of relationships. And, and the reasons why people get together and break up are very different than they used to be. I mean, again, you know, 20, 30 years ago, women and men got married with very strict gender roles. One was the baby producer, the other was the money producer. Today, it's very different you can have one or both parties being the ones creating the, the income. You can have a baby, uh, New York State just passed surrogacy contracts. You can hire someone to have a baby for you and pay money and, and it won't interrupt your career. Uh, so, so different, I mean, everything's different. So that means the expectations are different. What people are willing to put up with is different. Infidelity is always a reason why people break up financial secrets, mental illness, problem with in-laws. I mean, those, those reasons still exist. But I would say the biggest change is that women and men have more choice. They have more autonomy. They have more economic uh, leverage than ever before. And we are going to see medicine and technology really create even different opportunities for all kinds of couples, same-sex couples, single parents, to create their own families in any way they choose. And we are really at that point. And I, I was doing a tremendous amount of speaking on this topic, fertility law, prenuptial agreements, cohabitation agreements, really very liberal, anti-traditional types of relationships that are really at the forefront of really becoming available for everyone. And then this pandemic happened and now, you know, everyone is stuck at home uh, men and women, I hope, are sharing in the housework. I hope they're sharing and taking care of the children. I mean, I'm home with my kids. Uh, I have four children. Uh, three of them are over the age of 20, and they've come back home to live. And it's a little bit of a, you know, interesting experience. And my husband and I are trying to, like, you know, it is it is fun. We have we're having a great time. Um, but you know, definitely, there's a little bit of conflict for sure. I mean, who's doing the dishes? Who's cooking the food? you know, keep quiet, I'm trying to work. Boundaries and, and respect and communication, we are all getting a little bit of a crash course. And that goes triple for parents of young children. 
And that's the one blessing I can say, you know, having older children, I'm not really dealing with homeschooling issues. My 15 year old is doing a pretty good job. And, and, you know, I'm not really on top of it as much as maybe parents of a small child would be. It's tough. It's hard to do parenting, you know, and it's tough to do it when you're confined and stressed out over your health and about your job. I mean, this is really very much a pressure cooker environment and it's only been a month too. So I don't know. In another month, uh, I, I keep telling people we just got to hang on and, and loosen our standards and just chill out a little bit. Um, and then really, hopefully we'll all learn a lesson. And, and I hope parents uh, can learn to respect each other and how hard it is to raise children the right way and how hard it is for teachers to keep children engaged. I hope uh, there's so many lessons to be learned in this society about really where our priorities should be. And I, I really focus on those silver linings and I really hope we see them come to pass. Definitely. It, it is a, a very stressful time for a lot of families and um, even having, you know, older children can be a, uh, a, a struggle because it's, it's your house, it's your rules, but they're also adults yep. that are living their own lives and they have, yep. you know, their own, their own little systems and social circles that they deal with. So, you know, I, I, I definitely see that there's still, even though they're not young, there's still that struggle. Um, yep. Are, are you seeing that more and more of these, um, you know, non-traditional relationships and LGBTQ relationships are increasing mm -hmm. or decreasing domestic violence? Domestic violence, you know, like any type of abusive relationship is based on power and control. And I know you know that. And so that dynamic exists in every type of relationship, whether it's same sex or opposite sex. It has to do with who has the money, who is staying home. You know, it has to do with personality types. Uh, you know, you have people that are narcissists or have personality disorders that are very, very bullying in their interactions with their partner. And you have partners that are victims or attracted to that type of partner. And so victims have a role in, in maybe choosing better. Um, and sometimes they don't have a choice and they're stuck at home or they're stuck in a relationship because they have children together and there's just no way out. So domestic violence does not discriminate uh, for gender, for class, for ethnicity, for race, and for um, you know, whether you're, you're gay or straight. It is, is just a feature of human psychology and the power and control dynamic. Definitely. I'm so glad that that was your answer. Um, that's what we've been talking about on this show is mm -hmm. that it has no bounds. It reaches every socioeconomic class, every race, every gender, just a huge, huge thing that needs to be destigmatized and talked about and, and worked on in, as a society. So I'm really glad that yes, that your answer to that. We have touched Good. on it a little bit and I definitely want to get into this coronavirus and this quarantine, everybody being stuck at home together. And um, you yep. know, people are thinking that it's hard for couples that have a healthy relationship that are, you know, they have that trust and that equalness in their relationship. What is your opinion and what is your thoughts on what it's doing for those, those women and those men that are in domestic violence relationships? Well, I mean, I, I do a lot of reading on this topic and people keep sending me things to read. And I think it's pretty well documented at this point that in other areas where they've had the pandemic and quarantine a little bit longer than we have here in New York, that there's been an uptick in domestic violence and even in divorce. So that's been documented in China. I think I read somewhere it's a 30% increase 
there's like a huge demand for divorce because of what went on during quarantine, a behavior that was less than safe and maybe decisions that I can't stay in a relationship with this person anymore. That's been documented in other places in Europe and in Israel. And, and here in New York, the police commissioner uh, recently came out and said that there's, uh, I think, I think a 30% increase in domestic violence compared to the same time last year. There are long lines at the liquor stores, so more alcohol use. We all know everyone's anxious and stressed. So we already know mental illness concerns are out there. So these are all almost like a perfect storm leading to domestic violence. People are very, very anxious and scared. You know, are fighting, and I see this in my clients that are calling every day, about whether it's safe to let their children leave the house. They're fighting over whether it's safe to go to the grocery store. Uh, if the husband or the wife is going to work, is it safe for them to come home and interact with the family? You know, these are brand new issues, new grounds for conflict, not a lot of answers out there. The New York court system at this point does not really have a lot of courtrooms available for normal business. It's really just emergency matters right now that are being heard, orders of protection for victims of domestic violence and sort of emergency child protective child abuse cases. By next week and the week after, we are hearing that they're going to be opening up the system for other types of non-emergency cases. And, and that needs to happen because there needs to be a way for people that are taking advantage over custody situations and, and are being abusive, they, they need to answer to a higher authority because it goes back to power and control. When there's no authority figures, there's no access to justice, people can't reach their attorneys or go to court, situations that could have been addressed in early stages just escalate to the point of really out of control situations. So thankfully, we are hearing that, you know, there's gonna be a little bit more business as usual when it comes to family law courts. And, and I hope that's the case, because uh, we really need that. Definitely. Uh, what do you think is going to be the impact that we see on society with all of these divorces and things coming to the forefront? You know, a lot of the divorces, as you said, are not going to be the people that were already in right. violent situations. It's, these, it's the new things that are coming yeah. up that people don't know how to deal with. I mean, I, I think there are going to be short-term effects and there are going to be long-term effects there's gonna be really systemic, society-wide, even global changes probably in the way businesses are conducted, uh, the way we deal with medicine and public health. I think probably a lot of people are gonna shift their priorities about whether they even wanna to go to work and work quite so hard, or whether they maybe wanna work from home. There are some very nice aspects to working from home. A lot of people are actually reporting improved health because they're watching what they eat, they're going for walks, they're, you know, maybe uh, there's, there's different shifts in decisions that people can make. I do think that the longer this quarantine situation goes on and the longer people have uh, worry about their businesses and their jobs, the more we're going to see um, abusive situations really play out. And we saw that with Hurricane Katrina. We see that we saw that locally with Storm Sandy. Uh, we saw it with some... Um, after 9-11, I mean, any major disruption in a society creates shifts, it creates stress, it, it disrupts the family system, and um, it causes people to relocate and move. 
And, and all of these things lead to family law issues. And either parents, uh, couples are gonna be on the same page or they're gonna be having conflict. And uh, so this is, we, we can expect f for years, probably at least five years, the fallout from jobs, uh, from family structures, at the, at, you know, at the very least, because we're, they're talking about a serious recession. And then after that, it could be even decades of real changes in how families are formed and how people react to this collective experience we've all had, this shared trauma that we all have. The risk of, of back and other types of um, pandemics, uh, maybe because of global warming, whether you believe in that or not, I mean, the answer is we really don't know. There could be very long-term effects. Definitely. What advice would you give to the, those victims that were already in abusive relationships that are now stuck yeah. in the household with their abuser? Well, I mean, I would say anyone listening, uh, anyone that really is stuck at home and afraid, they, they need to find a way to call a victim services agency and get a little bit of counseling and coping mechanisms. I mean, first of all, if they're in a dangerous situation, they should be calling the police. I mean, uh, you know, the police are there. They're very, very busy these days going back and forth to different domestic situations because that's what's going on right now. The police, in an emergency, you don't hesitate. If you're really at risk, there are a lot of people at home with people that are drinking and have guns. I mean, that's always been risky to victims of domestic violence. Uh, you know, if you need help, the police are there. But then you can also call a victim services agency, get advice. Um, a lot of times it takes the victim multiple efforts before they leave. And it really depends on a host of factors, including culture and, and socioeconomics and, and just uh, that, that courage it takes to really leave with the children uh, and, and provide for their safety. And so they need to start getting counseling. They need to speak to real trained counselors that understand domestic violence and are going to give advice geared towards having a safety plan, having an exit plan, saving up a little bit of money, uh, coping skills, uh, and, and starting a relationship with a mental health counselor. And, and, and all of these things take time. It could take weeks or months. And so maybe this is the right time to start getting that information. A lot of victims that I deal with, uh, you know, they have you know, maybe not physical trauma to their head, but it's almost like their, their brain, uh, you know, their thinking, their judgment is impaired. You know, they can't see straight, they can't think clearly, and they need help to kind of get out of this path, get on a path towards strength and healing and, and making better decisions. And, and so for that, the memes on Facebook aren't going to cut it. You know, just talking to people that are not trained is not going to cut it. They need to talk to a professional, to volunteers. Uh, for me locally, I recommend the Long Island Crisis Center. I recommend the Safe Center. As many other referrals I could give so people can contact me and I'd be happy to give them. But you have to ask for help. You have to ask for help and there's ways to get it. There are food pantries. You know, there's help with getting, uh, you know, the stimulus check and the gun. There's so many places you can go for help depending on what type of help you need. Uh, and so people have to really at least take that first step to ask for help. Definitely. Um, and when they ask for help, what advice are you, do you have for those supporters and those advocates that maybe know somebody or have a friend that they know is in an abusive relationship 
and they don't really know how to help that person out. You, you want to listen. You want to believe the person. You want to be a sympathetic ear that doesn't judge. You need to accept what you're hearing and, and check in with that person. Check in with them. See if there's something that they need help with. Uh, validate their experience that what they're going through is, is not acceptable, that it might even be abusive. For example, so many women I know live in beautiful houses. They don't have grocery money. They, they're under complete financial control of their spouse. Or there's a lot of uh, verbal put-downs or gaslighting and things like that. So if, if, you, if you see that going on, um, validate that, that it's not acceptable, that that's not right, that that's not normal in a relationship, and that maybe they want to go speak to a counselor. And, and maybe provide the name of, or number of a counselor um, or a victim services agency so that they have a lifeline, a, a place to call. That's what I think is the appropriate step for a bystander. You can't really be forceful and intervene in a relationship unless there's physical harm, uh, in which case you should be calling the police. Or there's abuse of a child, in which case maybe as a mandated reporter or maybe not, you can make an anonymous report to Child Protective Services. If it's something not quite as clear-cut as physical harm or abuse, the role of a friend or a family member is, is to listen and support for as long as it takes. Definitely. I 100% agree with that. And I'm sure you know these statistics, but the um, deadliest time frame for a victim of domestic violence is that moment that they are preparing to leave. Um, that is where yes. you see the most deaths. So what is your recommendation for the safest way to leave an abusive relationship? Well, the, this, is, uh, this is something that um, counselors can definitely help with. Uh, you have to be, they have to be careful uh, with communications. A lot of times abusive perpetrators are you know, taping or they have uh, GPS monitors or they're uh, you know, sort of hacking into emails and texts. They have to be very, very careful. Uh, they have to confide in someone they can trust. Uh, maybe put aside some money, maybe take steps to get a credit card or have some some valuable stashed away in the house of a trusted friend. Um, the The websites for a lot of victim services agencies do have links and resources so that a victim can get that information and follow the advice on how to create a safety plan and an exit plan. I would say for most, it takes weeks, if not months of preparation. So it's just a matter of taking that first step. And again, if anyone is hearing this, they want some referrals, uh, I'd be happy to provide them. And, and most victim services agencies have tons of information to provide for people that need it. So wrapping up here, we have a few questions that we ask every guest that comes on the show. But before I do that, I just want to ask you if there's anything else that you want to reiterate or touch on that you think is important for our audience. I mean, you know, we're living in, in, in such crazy times that it's hard to even put it in context sometimes. Uh, I mean, I think for anyone who's feeling anxiety and feeling uh, uncertain and maybe even panicked, uh, they, they should understand that life will go back to normal, hopefully sooner rather than later, that there's certain things you can control in life and there's certain things you can't. One thing that anyone who's contemplating leaving a partner or a spouse or has a custody issue, one thing you can control is your own ability to seek help seek information and no one can take that control away from you and and with because of the internet and some of the things we talked about before it's never been easier to get information 
Now, that's not a substitute for face-to-face advice, but it's for sure a starting point, and, and people should take advantage of that if they can. The information is out there. Definitely. Um, just you, I want to circle back real quick because you touched on it a couple of ways, yeah. um, but getting on the internet and finding those resources, um, is there anything that you recommend that would be the safest way to go about that if you're being monitored um, and your, your things are being hacked? Well, I mean, uh, if you're browsing on Google, find a way, uh, learn how to clear your browsing history, go lock yourself into a room if you have to, do some research, go for a walk, talk with a friend, maybe set up an email account that's new for yourself, change the passwords, you can email yourself information, make sure you have a password on your phone and, and so that your, your partner or someone in the house that you're concerned about can access that information. You have to take steps to safeguard your own boundaries. And I always tell people going through a divorce, whether it's an abusive situation or not, uh, you really can't underestimate the other side. Anyone is capable of, even the best people, the worst side comes out in a family law situation. And you have to take steps to protect yourself. And that's on you. And, and uh, you know, you will leave the situation if you need to, if you want to. It's no fault divorce. The laws are fair. You're not going to lose your children. And at the same time, you don't want to create an enemy. So be careful in your interactions with your, with your partner. If you need to get advice that's tailored towards that, really seek help. Most family law attorneys do give free consultations in my area. Uh, not all, but most. So get, get advice and, and you'll feel more empowered. And people always tell me when they get advice, they have more peace of mind. And that's really what it's, what it's about. Knowledge is power. Definitely is. Definitely is. All right. Getting into our final questions. The first one is what would the new you say to the old you? You know, the, the, uh, what, I guess in, ter- in terms of the pandemic in, in any terms. Yeah. Well, I would say just going over the past few months, I would say that you just never know when life can turn on a, on a dime and you can have certain things that you take for granted and just assume are going to be the case. And whether it's a pandemic or the loss of a job, or God forbid, a bad illness, you can have a whole new reality and, and ultimately you're gonna to have to get through it and you will get through it. And, and going back longer, if I was looking at the old me, you know, a young college student, a young mom, I would say, uh, you know, something similar, you know, don't stress out, um, everything will work out. You know, you can't control everything, but if you keep doing what you're doing, and, and focus uh, and get through it, you will get through it. Don't worry so much. And, and I guess the advice I'm giving to myself, uh, short term and long term, really has to do with the fact that I'm somewhat of an anxious person myself. And so I'm always looking for ways to uh, control my emotions, learn how to cope with stresses a little bit better, because certainly I have my hands full and my plate full, and I'm grateful for all those things. But life is, is a journey, and I'm always looking to learn how to improve it. Definitely. Um, so going forward, what are you working on and what are your goals for um, this next year? Well, I'm, I'm hoping to get, uh, I'm, I'm working in my office right now. My, my firm is actually an essential business and we're, we are still operational, but most of our staff and attorneys are working from home. Really, my, my goals for this year are really very simple. I just want life to go back to some reasonable form of normal. My goals are uh, to 
continue to be safe and healthy. And I hope that members of my family and extended family, because I have a huge family, I hope they all come out of this, all my loved ones, all my friends and colleagues. I hope we can come out of this with, with good health. And I hope our government can do a better job, whether it's at a federal level or local level or state level, just a better job in providing resources for people that need it the most. Uh, and I would look forward to seeing that. Um, you know, just a better system so that there's not quite so much anxiety out there. My goals are very simple, uh, but at the same time, they're kind of <laughs> maybe impossible. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What is something that you can recommend to our listeners um, to help them get through a tough time, whether it be meditation, any, anything the world is? Oh boy. I'm, I'm a huge fan of meditation. Uh, I had, uh, you know, some health challenges a few years back and other types of work challenges and I took on, uh, you know, for the first time, because I'm sort of an impatient person, I, I made a commitment to meditate almost every day. And now it is part of my day. Every single day, I will take that time. I, I've tried to upgrade my diet and my exercise routine and really try to find ways to calm myself and keep myself centered. I think these are very, very useful skills for anyone and everyone. As a matter of fact, I wish they would teach it in school. So meditation, trying to keep a calm mind, nutrition and exercise and sleep, these are always good things to focus on and improve upon. And, and that's, that's where I'm at. I love it. Um, and then what is something that you can recommend uh, that is a good book, ebook, podcast, or quote that you kind of live by? I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, this is going to sound really terrible, but the ones that I've been listening to... God, the one I've been listening to lately, because um, they're actually not bad, is something called Goop by ben Gwyneth Paltrow. And uh, not the ones going back years ago, which were more focused on beauty and, and fashion, but the ones she's done over the past month or two since the pandemic, they've been really good. Uh, and uh, she's brought some really good experts and, and really talked about wellness in a way that I thought really makes a lot of sense. So I would recommend um, I would recommend those podcasts, goop.com, any type of podcast that increases your knowledge, encourages you to ask questions, challenges your beliefs. Uh, those are all good. You don't only want to listen to things that you agree with. So, and I think podcasts are great. They really are. They're good to exercise and listen to. And even when you try to fall asleep, uh, it's, it's nice to hear a soothing voice and, and learn at the same time. So, yeah. Awesome. I obviously love podcasts as well. So that's great. Um, and then finally, where can our listeners find you and reach out to you if they want to learn more or get those resources for, from you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very easy to reach because I'm uh, one of my compulsive qualities is I return all the emails and calls I get. So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook even. I run a group on Facebook called Family Law Solutions. My office number is 516-773-8300. And my email is Jackie at lawjaw.com. That's J-A-C-K-I-E at L-A-W-J-A-W.com. Awesome. Well, I hope people reach out to you and grab those resources from you. Thank you so much for coming on the show and giving your wisdom. I really appreciate it, Heather. It was a fantastic conversation. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. 
You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O, thriving, A-T-L, or online at 2thriving.org.